Harry Met Virtual Traveller, hello and welcome to Stories from Law, a monthly podcast that explores folklore and the stories it inspires. My name is Dawn Nelson and I am an author and professional storyteller. So here we are, it's season two. And from this season onwards, the theme for each monthly episode will be chosen by my ever supportive and wonderful patrons. This is via a monthly Patreon poll. And this month, you lovely lot chose A Country for Old Hags. So for this episode, I will be looking at the Winter Witch, the creatrix of the land and the unpredictable goddess that is the Kaliak of Celtic folklore. The story from lore for this episode is The Green Lady. The Kaliak appears in the folklore and mythology of Scotland, Ireland and the Isle of Man. She is associated with winter and the cycles of life. She is said to walk the earth between the Samhain on the 31st of October and the Beltane on the 30th of April. Half the year. And while she is most prevalent in the Celtic mythology and lore, she can be found across Europe appearing in myth, legend and more folklore. In some stories, it is thought that she has seven cycles of youth and is renewed each spring. Sometimes this renewal takes the form of bathing in particular waters or just simply a specified passage of time, for example, 100 years. She takes many forms, a blue cyclops woman with white hair and rust-coloured teeth, an old hag, a beautiful, youthful maiden, or an enormous giant wading through the sea. The Kaliak is a shapeshifter. So where does her name come from? And what does it mean other than hag, which is, well, what it's become synonymous with. Kaliak is Gallic, and in one translation, it means veiled one. In another translation, just simply old wife, and in another, we're going back to that hag again. The translation of veiled one links her back to Christianity through the Virgin Mary and, of course, nuns, but this was most likely an attempt to Christianise this ancient pagan goddess. There is also a suggestion that her name relates to the word chalice, and from there, cauldron, reminding me of another powerful goddess or witch from the Celtic pantheon that is Ceridwin. As well as the name Kaliak having different translations, she is actually called different names too. In Rachel Patterson's book on the Kaliak, which you will find the full title of in the show notes, she has listed no less than 26 different names for the Kaliak. Magmulach, Bronach, Bear Goddess, Boar Goddess, Owl-Faced, Woman of Stones and, well, more. All these names refer to the Kaliak. Despite her varied appearance and plethora of names, the Kaliak is consistently attributed with the powers of creation. In particular, her ability to mould the landscape in which she resides, both as a creatrix and often actually residing within it as part of it. One story tells of how she is so old that she never actually died. She just simply lay down to sleep. The grass grew over her, and in time she became a mountain. Still asleep, at least for now. There are many landmarks that bear her name, mountains, caves and rivers. In Scotland, in her blue, fearsome cyclops form, the Kaliak Burr roams the land, taking giant strides across it, dropping rocks from her apron. These rocks have become hills, causeways, mountains and even islands, if she happens to be walking across the sea at the time. This apron of rocks is a recurring theme, as you will see when I talk about it later and the Kaliak's association with the water. In Ireland, she can also be found in landmarks such as mountains, cairns, barrows and mounds. 
Examples of these are the Sleeve Nakaliak in County Meath, which are a range of hills encompassing megalithic tombs and chambers. They are thought to have been created as the Kaliak strode across the land, yes, that's right, dropping those stones from her apron again. And the Hag's Chair at Long Crew is included in this range of hills. The Hag's Chair is a 10 foot by 6 foot stone, shaped like a seat, said to be where the Kaliak sits to view the land that she has created. The Hag of Bearer in County Cork is a stone shaped like the Kaliak's face. This last one is the subject of a poem in which she laments her ageing and waits for the return of her sea god husband, Mananan. In England, there are many stones referred to as old women. Non-Nakaliak, but definitely old women. And an example of these would be Long Meg and her daughters in Cumbria. But she doesn't just drop stones from her apron. In the warmer months, the goddess is said to become stone, and there are many landmarks that bear witness to this too. Through her connection with the land, the Kaliak is sometimes portrayed as a protector of wild animals, a little like the goddess Artemis from Greek mythology, only this time in Celtic lore, of course. More specifically, she is the protector of deer, wild boar, goats and wolves. If she is guarding domesticated cattle, though, they are likely to be fairy cattle. Either way, kill one of the animals under the Kaliak's protection and you will find yourself, at the very least, on the receiving end of a run of bad luck. There are many stories of hunters encountering the Kaliak and only being able to make a kill with her permission and only under a certain set of rules. And if these rules are not followed, then they will simply not be successful or, if they are successful, the kill is then taken from the hunters. One such example is the need to bless the animal they have just killed. If they fail to do this, then the fairies can take it from them. As previously mentioned, she is often a shapeshifter and she takes the form of wild animals herself. And sometimes she is seen riding a wolf or a wild boar. In some traditions, it is said that her followers join her in an entourage reminiscent of the wild hunt and they chant as they go. When the grey owl has three times hooted, when the grinning cat has three times mewed, when the fox has yowled three times in the wood at the red moon carrying behind a cloud. I'm pretty sure it would sound better with a Scottish accent, but I'm not about to attempt that. Anyway, you get the idea. The chant goes on to talk about stars and the spells and, well, notions of witchcraft and fairies are conjured up. Again, bringing us back to those two sabbats, the Sawain and the Beltane. As we have seen throughout story and folklore, the Kaliak is not always a welcome visitor. And in fact, whether she is respected through fear or because of her wisdom, it's quite unclear. Stories of her entering houses to seek revenge for some perceived insult, sometimes quite rightly so, for in one story her son has been killed. Well, they tell of her taking the appearance of a little old woman, and then expanding slowly in size to fill the room until she overpowers its inhabitants. Unless, that is, they're able to appease her, of course. But appeasing the Kaliak can be a little tricky. Because the image of the Kaliak is so prolific, and she has become so many things, she occasionally blurs into other mythological and folkloric beings, as I've already alluded to. Sometimes she's associated with Brigid and other times Ceridwen, or even the Morrigan. 
But one of the folkloric beings that she is sometimes associated with is the Glastig, a half-woman, half-goat, a little akin to a satire. Glastigs are green maidens, and there is a legend of a Glastig that was found mourning the loss of the Caledonian forest by striking two deer shanks together. This sounds very Caliac-like. So now we know who the Caliac is and how she has shaped our land and still lives within it. I'd like to tell you a story that comes from Hertfordshire. I first came across it in Lisa Schneidau's book of Woodland Folk Tales. It's published by the History Press, and I'll put details for this in the show notes as well. It's a very old tale, though, and it comes from the oral tradition. It reminds me of the grim fairy tale Frau Holly, and in Lisa's book she said it reminds her of Baba Yaga. So, this is my version of this tale and the tale is called The Green Lady. There once lived a man who had been widowed young. He lived on the edge of the woods and spent long hard days in those woods, making a living from the trees, finding what logs he could to sell or to carve, and then making charcoal with what he couldn't. He had two daughters, And as is often the way in these stories, one was diligent and worked hard, whilst the other spent time sat by the fire. The one that spent time sat by the fire would tell her father of the gossip in the village and pour him out another whiskey. So, well, you can guess which daughter he was kinder to, which daughter he favoured more. Certainly not the one that worked hard and he barely noticed. Certainly not the one that had the audacity to complain that the other daughter did very little to help. Eventually, the diligent daughter got fed up with being the one that did all the work, and so she decided to go and seek her own fortune. Wouldn't you? After all, she was well used to looking after herself. Father, she said, allow me to take some cake and a bottle of ale, and I will go out into the world and I will seek my own fortune. Then we'll see how you two get on on your own. Well, the father... He'd already had three whiskies that evening and he had a head full of gossip and thought nothing of the daughter's idle threats. And so he agreed that she could go and do just that in the morning if she so wished, but not before she'd done the cleaning and the cooking for that day. So the daughter got up early and did the cleaning and the cooking and as the sun was coming up, well, she took the cake and the ale and she headed off into the woods. It was a warm day and the woods spread out before her. This was an adventure. She finally felt free. She thought to walk east, as it was as good a direction as any, and after she had been walking for some hours, she sat down to eat a little of the cake and drink some of the ale. She was sat on a stout tree that had clearly come down in a storm and had been there a while, for it was covered in moss, and she could watch the little wood lice climbing over it, and occasionally a bird would hop down and try and eat the insects from the moss. Now, the forest is a strange place and, well, you never know who you might meet. And so it was no real surprise to the girl that a small, wizened old man appeared from behind a hedge. Perhaps he smelt the cake. But he approached the girl with pleading eyes and wringing hands. May I have a little of your cake, young lady? he asked. Well, of course, the girl gave him some of the cake. There was plenty of it and she had a good heart. Well, she knew of the fairy folk of the forest and probably wasn't a good idea to turn them away. But what really persuaded her was that before her she saw a thin old man who needed sustenance. 
as you do when you sit and break bread and drink ale with someone, you would perhaps get talking. And so she does. They talk about the day and what she's doing there. And she explains about how she's seeking her fortune. And so it is that the old man announces that he knows just where she might find it. And so she listens. He tells her to go into the dark of the woods until she finds a house that looks like no other and knock on the door of that house. There she will find the lady of the woods. Speak to her kindly and she will give you work. But make sure you do everything she asks. The girl thanks the man, packs up the rest of her cake and ale and starts to walk the path that she has been shown until she reaches a clearing in the woods. Indeed, there is an enormous tree right in the middle of the clearing. Its arborous arms are outstretched and the moss stretches from its roots up the little crevices in the bark and up and up and up into the branches. There, in the middle of the trunk, is a door with a tiny brass bell. This must be the house. The girl walks up to the door and rings the bell. The woman opens the door and the girl steps back with a gasp, for this was not the woman that she was expecting. This is not a human woman. This is a glass stick. She has smooth, pale green skin and piercing golden cat-like eyes. Her dress is made of every leaf in the forest and reaches almost to the floor, where out from the bottom of the skirt peek the woman's tiny hooves. She asks what the girl wants, and the girl stammers, Work. I can clean, I can cook, and I can fetch wood or water, whatever it is you would like me to do. I am a hard worker, and I seek my fortune. Very well, says the woman, come in. The girl goes into the house and the door is closed behind her. The glass dig holds out a birch besom in her long, spindly arm. Sweep the kitchen so that the dust flies and don't ever look through that keyhole. And with that, the glass dig disappears into a room through a heavy oak door that indeed does have a keyhole. A very large and inviting keyhole, but no key. The girl gets to work, thinking if sweeping is all she has to do, well, she really has landed on her feet here. And as she sweeps, the dust billows up in huge clouds. And of course, well, it lands on everything else in the house. So she has to dust down everything and sweep again. And it takes many, many attempts before the house is indeed clean. As if sensing that the dust is no longer flying, the green lady, she appears again from behind the door. Very good she says. Your next job, though, is to go and collect water from the well. But mind you that it's clear water. I won't be drinking any muddy water. The girl is told where the well is, so she walks through the wood to the well. The well looks most neglected and old, covered in lichen. When she peers in, she can see the bucket far down on the piece of rope and She can see the murky green mud and weed that covers the top of the water. This is not going to be an easy task either. She places the metal bucket that the glass has given her beside the well and starts to winch up the little wooden bucket. It is full of muck. And so she tips it out under the trees. Perhaps the tree will find some sustenance from it, she thinks. And then she puts the bucket back down into the water and winches the bucket up again. The water is still claggy and full of dirt, but 
There in the middle is a tiny little fish, a little fish of gold. And it pokes its head up out the surface of the water of the bucket and it says, wash me, comb me and lay me down softly. Well, like I say, this girl has a good heart. And so she lifts the tiny little golden fish out of the horrible mucky water and she does wipe off the mud and pop him into the metal bucket that she has. She tips away that murky water and she winches down the bucket once more. This time the water comes up a little cleaner, but it's still quite green. And there's an oily layer across the top of it. And this time, this time there's a tiny little silver fish. And the same thing happens. The little fish says, wash me, comb me and lay me down softly. And well, so she does. She puts the other little fish into the metal bucket. She tips out the water and puts the bucket back down into the well and winches it back out. This time, this time the water is almost completely clear and there is another little fish in the bucket. As you might expect, for things often happen in threes, don't they? This time the little fish was a pearly moon white and the fish says the same thing. Wash me, comb me and lay me down softly. So she does. She does the same thing. She puts the third fish in the little metal bucket. She pours away the water that is so almost clear and then she winches down the bucket again. And this time, this time she pulls up a bucket of crystal clear water and there is not one fish in it. When she looks down into the well, all of the claggy mess and the weed and the oily greasiness has gone. There is just clear water. And she looks at the three little fish in the bucket and she puts them back into the well. They are very grateful for her kindness and the fact that she has now cleaned the well water. And they look up from the well and they say to her, thank you, thank you. Now we have some advice for you. We know you are staying with the green lady. Do not eat any of her food under any circumstances. Make sure that you are honest and true and you will be rewarded. Thank you, says the girl, for that was good advice. She fills the bucket up with the clear water from the well and heads off back to the green lady's house. Her next task is to cook the green lady dinner. The green lady is very pleased with the bucket of clear water that the girl has brought back. And now she asks her to boil the meat for dinner. So the girl does. The girl has cooked many dinners before. She knows how to do this. And as she's cooking, oh, it smells delicious. And then there are some vegetables that the green lady hands her that she has to put into the stew. And she has no idea what they are. And she remembers the advice of the little fish. And despite the aromatic curling steam that comes from the pot, she resists the temptation to eat the meal with the green lady and instead she eats the remains of her cake that was in her pocket and the bit of ale that she has left. When dinner is finished, the green lady disappears back behind the door again and the girl is left to clean up the dishes. As she is washing the dishes and sorting out the kitchen and scrubbing out the big pan that she boiled the meat in, she can hear a faint sound of music coming from behind the door. And although she knew she mustn't, she thought, well now, there can't be any harm taking a quick look, a quick peek through the keyhole, can there? And so she does. 
looking through. It's as if there is another land, as if the door is a portal to another space, an expanse of woodland, a forest even, where there are animals, satires, fairies and elves and birds singing everywhere. She gasps and steps back from the door, hitting her heel on the large cooking pan. The music stops and the green lady comes out and demands to know, what have you seen? But the girl insists she has seen nothing. So the green lady goes back behind the door and closes the door and the music starts again. But the girl cannot resist. She bends down to look through the keyhole again and this time she comes eyeball to eyeball with the green lady who flings open the door and storms into the room. I told you not to look through the keyhole. I have given you food, I have given you shelter and this is the thanks I get. She strikes the girl and the girl finds that everything has gone black. She can no longer see. You will leave this house and take your chances in the wood, says the green lady. But the green lady knows that the girl has indeed worked hard and so she doesn't let her leave without, well, shall we say wages. She hands her a pouch of what must be money and a bundle of cloth and then throws her out into the wood. Of course, being blind, the girl wanders through the woods with no clue as to where she is going. She knows that night must be near because she can hear the owls and, well, she knows that rather than stumbling around in the cold and the dark, She'd be best to find a large tree to wait beside and nestle into its roots. And so that's what she does. Somehow she sleeps. And in the morning, she is awoken by a voice. It says, drink this water. It's a man's voice. It's not the old man's voice. The one that she shared the cake with. No, it's not her father either. She doesn't recognise this voice, but she's thirsty and she's been there all night. She has very little choice, for there's no way she could find water herself. She reaches her hands out and a small bowl is placed in them. She takes a long, thirsty gulp. Now before you drink more, rub some in your eyes, says the voice. She does, and lo and behold, her sight is restored, and there before her, well, is a rather handsome young man. I was sent by the fish of the well, he said. I was sent to look after you and to guide you home. She has no idea where this young man has come from and, well, she doesn't feel like she can ask. He has done her such good service. She looks down and sees that she's still holding a little pouch of what could be money and a bundle of clothes and she discovers that it's gold in the pouch and the cloth is fine dresses. The young man does help her find her way home. And when she returns home with such a handsome youth, with gold and magnificent dresses, and then in fact goes on to set up home with that man and her newfound fortune, while the other sister becomes jealous and she decides that she will set out on her own quest to find her fortune. But on her way, with her beer and her cake, she does not share her food with the old man. And so she becomes lost several times trying to find the green lady's house that her sister has talked of. When she does find the house of the green lady and is invited in and is told to make the dust fly, well, she does not complete her tasks properly. 
She does not save those fish from the well, and so she does not receive the warning about the food. And so, after cooking that boiled meat and those vegetables that smell so amazing, well, she does not hesitate to eat them. And indeed, she does not hesitate to look through the keyhole. And this time, well, the green lady knows exactly what she's done. And this time, without hesitation, the green lady blinds the girl and does not give her any reward for her work, or rather lack of it, and instead throws her out into the wood. And she tells her, she tells her because she has eaten her food, her fairy food, she will never be able to leave that wood. For this girl did not respect the wildness of the wood, or the woman who lives within it, and now she is doomed to roam those woods forevermore. I was told this story by a little fish in a well. This fish met her once and was not treated with kindness. And the fish tells me that the girl may still be wandering the woods to this day, wild and untamed. Perhaps she herself has become the green lady, the glastic and the caliac of these lands. I hope you enjoyed that story. I have, of course, put my own spin on it. But I think it's got a lot of familiar motifs in it. So it's an interesting one for folklore and how it's woven into that story. The threes, the talking fish, the hardworking girl and the lazy girl, the father who doesn't seem to step in when he should. All these motifs appear frequently in story. We are almost through January. And it is still very much the Kaliak's time. As I record this, there is a frost on the grass outside and the winter sun is blinding and hangs low in the sky. I hope you've enjoyed this episode and exploring the woman of winter. Thank you to patrons for their continued support of my storytelling and, of course, the podcast. You can become a patron to benefit from a range of rewards and my patron is called Rewild Yourself Through Story. And it's focused on using story to reconnect with the land we live on and the nature within it. You can get digital zines, Wheel of the Year celebration sheets, audio stories and, of course, extended versions of this podcast. They're all available as rewards. In the extended version of this episode, I continue to look at the Kaliak, her association with the water and the amusing story of some French sailors who had a very ingenious and perhaps risque way of preventing their ship from being wrecked. And the second story I'm telling for patrons for this episode is The Marriage of Sir Gawain which promises to tell the secret of what women want. There are, of course, other ways to support the podcast. You can do this by sharing the podcast with your friends or leaving me a review, as all of this helps these stories to travel to new audiences and find new souls and bones to warm. If you wish to hear more stories woven with folklore in the old ways, you can find me on Instagram as dd underscore storyteller, on Facebook as dd storyteller, and via my Facebook group, Stories from Law where there are Facebook Lives, behind the scenes, and we share books, music recommendations, and chat a little about the podcast. I hope to see you there, as I'd love to tell you another story. Until then, I'll see you next time. Toodle pip! <laughs>